if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed, and hour number two is now away at eight minutes past ten o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday, the 24th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2020. The inspiring words of President Ronald Reagan uh, juxtaposed with the unbelievable words of Senator Tim Kaine. I'm going to set this up because I've been thinking about one particular individual for the last week, ever since I heard Tim Kaine say on the floor of the United States Senate these words. The first African Americans into the English colonies came to Point Comfort, Virginia in 1619. They were slaves. They'd been captured against their will. But they landed in colonies that didn't have slavery. There were no laws about slavery in the colonies at that time. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. Those words, the moment I heard them, the first thing that popped into my head was the name Michael Medved. Because I read Michael Medved's book years ago, The Ten Big Lies About America, and I remember very distinctly the chapter on one of the big lies about America is that slavery was a unique institution uh, of the United States of America, that we were unique and we were innovative and we were responsible for slavery. It is a lie, and it's a lie that was just repeated by Senator Tim Kaine. So I said, we need to talk to Michael Medved, and Michael has been kind enough to join us now. Michael Medved, of course, is a Salem radio personality and a best-selling author of many other books, in addition to The Ten Big Lies. Michael, thank you for joining us from Seattle. How are you, sir? I'm very well indeed, and uh, yes, the the whole notion of slavery being a unique source for American guilt is right behind the entire cultural moment we have. And it is a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, Slavery is a universal institution. And by the way, universal in Africa. And the idea that the United States bears some unique guilt, the United States deserves, along with Great Britain, unique credit for abolishing slavery, for getting rid of it. But this institution, which had existed for literally thousands of years, was one in which the United States wasn't even a major participant. David Bryan Davis, who taught for 40 years at Yale and was recognized, he wrote a book called Inhuman Bondage, which is the definitive book on the history of slavery. And of the slaves who were kidnapped in Africa, and transported elsewhere, 
4% were bound for what later became the United States. Most went to places like Brazil, the West Indies, and, lest we forget, before European slavery even began, uh, the Islamic world. The Islamic world was the world's greatest slavers. And uh, they abolished that slavery in Saudi Arabia in 1961. That's 1961. You know, Michael, that is, I want to get more of that history. First of all, that's a great primer. But now let's talk, uh, first of all, before you give me more history, tell me what you thought and what you felt when you heard Tim Kaine say last week what I just played on the air. Well, I I played it, and I said this is one of the reasons that... uh, (laughs) his choice as Hillary's running mate was such a disaster. Now, and it's, it's one of those things, he's so forgettable, he's such a nothing, uh, that I, I think if you ask people a quiz question quick, who was Hillary Clinton's running mate, people would go, oh, um, I don't know, uh, Mr. Nobody. <laughs> and, uh, and now we, we know why. What a fool. And the idea that slavery didn't exist, that the United States uh, didn't uh, inherit slavery, they created it. Slavery was, uh, they had already, before that 1619 date, there were British settlements in the West Indies, and, uh, and that's where most of the slaves went. Well, today's places like Jamaica and Trinidad and the Bahamas and uh, all of those places were sugar plantations, and Santo Domingo was uh, a huge slave population. To this day, Brazil, which is the second largest country in population in uh, the Western Hemisphere, uh, Brazil is close to 40% of people of African descent. And by the way, guess what? They are horribly impacted by coronavirus and much worse than uh, the people of European descent in Brazil. But this idea of America being exceptional and exceptionally guilty and exceptionally cruel, it is complete nonsense. And uh, and uh, going along with that nonsense is the idea that America built its wealth on the institution of slavery. Hey, uh, uh, Earth to uh, commentator or historian... Uh, the United States of America, if you look at the way it was divided in the Civil War, the wealthy part of the country, the part of the country that was progressing financially, was the part that had abolished slavery, and abolished slavery mostly in the very uh, end of the 1700s. they have gotten rid of it. And slavery was not a, a key to economic development. It was an, uh, it was an impediment to economic development. And which is why the North won the Civil War. The North was prospering, it built up industry, it built up railroads. The South had not because it, it maintained this feudal economy. And by the way, Ohio is part of the Northwest uh, Territory, what was called the Northwest Territory. It was Ohio and Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin. In those four states, when they were organized as territories before they became states, and before the Constitution, under the Articles of Confederation in 1787, before the Constitution was written, the Northwest Ordinance banned slavery forever from places like Ohio, which is why Ohio was 
such a prominent stop on the Underground Railroad helping uh, enslaved people to escape right. slavery. Michael, we're talking with uh, Michael Medved, of course. He's a Salem Radio host and a best-selling author and historian. Michael, I, I want to hit a little bit. See, because what we're dealing with in this country right now with all the racial strife, it's more than just, of course, about police brutality or George Floyd or anything else. There is this movement to condemn white supremacy and white privilege and lift up the black American experience because of slavery, that the idea is the reason whites are quote-unquote on top and founded this country is because of their brutal oppression, generally speaking, of of Africans um, who were brought to this country. In your book... And in an article that you wrote for Town Hall about all of this, you pointed out that a very, very tiny percentage of the ancestors of today's Americans, white Americans, actually participated in and owned slaves. Yet all of modern-day white America is being blamed for the institution, as if we all somehow participated. Can you go deeper into that? Sure. Now, I, I, first of all, let me tell you what, what someone would say who was uh, part of the, quote, woke contingent people who are marching in the streets today for BLM and they would say that well even though um, well take my family for instance my mother was born in Germany she escaped with her family in uh, 1934 uh, before the actual slaughter began in in Germany and in Europe mm-hmm. and uh, obviously there's no one in my family who ever came close to owning slaves but what they would say is that, aha, uh-huh, but your grandfather and your mother and your other grandparents and people who came to this country benefited from white privilege because they did not have dark skin and because they were not impacted by this uh, overwhelming prejudice against people of color. And, uh, okay, that's, that's true, but to say that people who come here with nothing and who face all kinds of obstacles, obstacles of anti-Catholicism, which was a very powerful force in the United States. We had a whole political party, the so-called American Party or Know Nothing Party, that was organized on the principle of anti-Catholicism. One of the things that I think gets people very upset, and rightfully so, Bob, is this idea that people, simply because of white skin color, have had it easy. Anybody who knows family history knows the struggles that many of our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents went through. And this notion that everything is based on race also ignores the remarkable achievements of people of color. Uh, Black people have been a part of this country and have achieved uh, unbelievable things culturally and economically and educationally. Uh, literally since before slavery was abolished, and which is another thing that people don't talk about. At the time of the Civil War, before the Emancipation Proclamation and before the 13th Amendment, there were already close to a million uh, people of color who were freed, what they used to call freed Negroes. And when they tried to organize as an alternative to slavery this idea of what they called colonization, that we would go ahead and free the slaves, but then uh, they would go eagerly back to Africa. It was the free people of color who said, no way, we've been here in America already for hundreds of years, and this is our country, and we want to stay, and we want to participate. 
By the way, I'll tell you an exact number. 183,000 black Americans fought in the Civil War and fought heroically, many of them immediately former slaves. And this shows you the sickness of this moment we live in, Bob, is that there's a beautiful monument to the 54th Massachusetts Volunteers, which is this legendary black regiment that was celebrated in the movie Glory uh, 20 years ago. In any event, the, the memorial was defaced. It was attacked by demonstrators who didn't like the fact that they had a memorial showing very clearly black soldiers under the American flag serving the Union Army. It was trashed on Boston Common. Well, they've done that, and they've done other similarly crazy things, Michael. They tore down or attempted to tear down the the, uh, statue of Ulysses Grant, who led the Union Army to defeat the Confederacy and to defeat slavery, and then went on to fight against the KKK. Uh, I mean, the the, the idea, and not to mention, of course, now we know that a great number of the founding fathers of this country did own slaves, but they are now being identified as primarily being slave owners rather than the extraordinarily courageous individuals who helped build the greatest monument to freedom that mankind has ever known, and that is the United States of America. Yeah, absolutely right. And and by the way, it's greatly overplayed when they talk about, oh, all of our founding fathers were slave owners. At the Constitutional Convention, the biggest slave owner was a, a guy named uh, George Mason of Virginia, and he owned over 100 slaves. He was... A, and... He fought and fought and fought at the Constitutional Convention for a clause in the Constitution abolishing slavery. And, again, people involved with the institution were often very conflicted about it. People need to read the history. Well, and people people cannot read the history because they see history through 2020 lenses, and that's the problem here. Nobody can understand the time in which all of that went on, the conflicted individuals, as you said, who participated in it, but then were literally at the same time fighting to end it. And that is just a little bit too complicated for today's woke 2020 crowds to, uh, to understand. Michael Medved, that book you wrote, among many others, and your constant uh, 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 you know, correction of, of the historical inaccuracies, particularly those uh, perpetrated by Tim Kaine uh, are, are invaluable to the conversation. This is so important what you do, and I really appreciate you coming on here and joining us for this. It's always great to talk to you, and let us all pray together for better times for the country we love. Amen to that. Thank you, Michael Medved. Michael Medved joining us. Uh, we'll continue right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Really, really good conversation with Michael Medved. I, uh, I, I hope, I hope this isn't understated. I mean, really, I feel like I need to be louder about this. This is so incredibly important right now. So much of what is going on 
in the United States with respect to the racial strife and the vandalism of the statues, the attacks on people, uh, and they are growing, by the way. It's just, it's just a fact. I mean, look online. You will see attacks on white people, random attacks by groups of people who outnumber the individual victim or the individual victim is old or infirm and unable to defend themselves. It's growing and growing and growing. And it's not about George Floyd. and It's not about police. It's about an a movement now to essentially flip the table to not call for equality, but to make amends for hundreds of years of slavery and oppression and to demand supremacy. In other words, it's no longer enough to say all should be equal based on the color of your skin. It's, hey, you had your turn on top. Now you're going to be subjugated while another race has their turn on top. That's kind of where we are. And they go back again to slavery in the United States as the reason for demanding that uh, that juxtaposition. Um. Blaming white America today for the actions of ancestors. And as I mentioned to to Michael, and he talked about it briefly, but there were so many other directions to go, quoting from Michael's book, slavery existed only very briefly in the annals of, of human history uh, in the United States and in limited locales in the history of the Republic involving only a tiny percentage of the ancestors of today's Americans. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution put a formal end to the institution of slavery 89 years after the birth of the Republic. 142 years have passed since this welcome end. Now, this was written in 20, uh, 2007, so it's actually 13 years more. So it's what? It's 158 years, 160 years now? Since this welcome emancipation, moreover, the importation of slaves came to an end in 1808, as provided by the Constitution. A mere 32 years after independence, and slavery had been outlawed in most states decades before the Civil War. Even in the South, more than 80% of the white population never owned slaves. Given the fact that the majority of today's non-black Americans descend from immigrants who arrived in this country after the war between the states, only a tiny percentage of today's white citizens, perhaps as few as 5%, bear any authentic sort of generational guilt for the exploitation of slave labor. Of course, a hundred years of Jim Crow laws, economic oppression, and indefensible discrimination followed in theoretical theoretical emancipation of the slaves, But those harsh realities raise different issues from those connected to the long-ago history of bondage. His chapter in his book, The Ten Big Lie, and I'm I'm recommending a book that's 10, 12, 15 years old, something like that. But I can't recommend it strongly enough. Listen to and learn about the history of slavery in the world. Because slavery literally is a part of almost every civilization. And as Michael pointed out, nations, including African nations meaning people with dark skin, African skin, uh, were engaged in slavery uh, during various parts of virtually the entirety of uh, of uh, of the continent, as well as, of course, as he pointed out, Asian countries. Uh, he talked about, from, from the faith standpoint, uh, Islam is responsible the, uh, for the imprisonment and the enslavement of scores, countless of people, through the Ottoman Empire, throughout, America, uh, throughout uh, human history. I mean, slavery has just been in the DNA of humanity, sadly enough, since humanity pretty much, you know, became civilized. 
And that's hard to believe to say those words because slavery in and of itself is uncivilized. There's nothing civil about it or civilized about it. But the truth of the matter is that the United States is is not unique, and this is what Michael's book sought to prove. The United States is not unique, and the United States much, much differently than many of the other nations around the world that also uh, engaged in the practice of enslavement of other human beings. The United States did it for the blink of an eye, for a blink of an eye. Again, comparatively speaking. And the United States, along with Great Britain, deserves special credit for its rapid abolition of something that was centuries and centuries and centuries old in other parts of the world. So thank you to Michael Medved. Really important history right there. Coming up, we've got news, and then we're going to pivot and shift to illegal immigration. We haven't talked about it in a long time. Dave Ray of the Federation of American Immigration Reform is going to be joining us to talk about some of the most important news in the last few days on that front. That's coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten thirty-eight. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We are going to pivot once again. It's been kind of a busy day. We're moving back and forth between various topics, and this one is as big as any. Uh, the president yesterday commemorating the the two hundredth mile of border wall built, keeping of course a promise, a long held promise, uh, or long ago I should say made promise. It's been slow in coming uh, that he made to the American people to secure our southern border with, among other things, a border wall. And uh, the president was highlighting the success of that wall yesterday in Yuma. Arizona. A lot of work from day one. We've needed it. Uh, we're now up to 220 miles, which is tremendous. And uh, we're in the Yuma section, but we have sections going all the way to the ocean. And it's had a tremendous impact on uh, on stoppage of people coming into our country illegally. And the numbers certainly bear that out. Uh, border crossings are down exponentially from a year ago and certainly from a few years ago at this time. So the border wall does continue to rise, as well as the president's policies to protect our sovereignty, especially from crossings, illegal crossings at our southern border. Uh, and joining us now to discuss that victory and some setbacks is our good friend Dave Ray. He is with, of course, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Dave, good to have you back on the air. How are you, my friend? Hey, Bob. How you doing, buddy? Good to be with you again. Good to talk to you, Dave. So let's talk about the good before we talk about the bad, especially with okay. respect to the Supreme Court. Let's talk about uh, the fact that border crossings are down so dramatically. Uh, and, and also, you know, from, from not only the standpoint of just trying to stop the flow of drugs and, and gangs and human smuggling and all of the other things that we always talk about trying to prevent from crossing our border, but also in this age of COVID-19, um, we, are, we are doing a tremendous job of keeping more and more people who may or may not be healthy from coming into this country and potentially increasing the spread of the virus. That's such an important thing the president pointed out yesterday as well. Absolutely, Bob. You know, I'll just remind you, you and your readers, last May, May of 2019, we eclipsed 144,000 uh, apprehensions at the southern border. These are numbers that hadn't been seen in this country since the early 2000s. And President Trump and his administration, they knew they were going to get zero help from Congress in terms of being able to get anything through that was going to help close some of the asylum loopholes that were being exploited, get border wall, uh, large segments of border wall uh, built and so on. And so the president actually showed uh, and his administration showed a great 
uh, example of how to think outside of the box. They approached our neighbors to the south, Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and made uh, cut bilateral agreements with them. The first thing the president did was to, to threaten Mexico with tariffs if it didn't immediately get control of its southern border, which is not that big of a uh, a task for Mexico. It doesn't have a 2,000-mile southern border like we do. It's a much smaller border that it shares with Guatemala. And within days, Mexican federal troops were there. The numbers have been coming down ever since. There are asylum agreements and what are called third safe country agreements, meaning if you if you're a national from somewhere else and you pass through Guatemala or Honduras, you have to ask for asylum there before you come to the United States and ask for asylum. So it's it's really this thinking outside of the box combined with the building of the border wall. I mean, uh, walls are effective. Nancy Pelosi might bash uh, the idea of a border wall, but let me assure you, Bob, that what does she have surrounding her Napa Valley mansion? A nice big fat wall. She has that because walls work. And so it's been a combination. You know who else understands that? You know who else understands that, despite all of their bluster saying that they don't work? CNN. After all of the rioting (laughs) and the attack on the CNN uh, headquarters, their buildings there in Atlanta, they built a border wall. How about that? (laughs) They built a wall after screaming into the the, uh, uh, cameras for the last four years. Walls don't work. Walls are terrible. Walls are divisive. Walls are this. They built a wall around their CNN compound. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, put put people on the spot and you're going to see their true colors. So now CNN ought to go down and cover the effectiveness of Trump's border wall and how it has greatly diminished uh, illegal alien apprehensions. I mean, it's also been a combination of the policies that have gone into effect since the beginning of the COVID crisis. Let's face it, when this whole thing started in late February, early March, the general consensus was we weren't going to have enough hospitals for our own people. And so the president stopped immigration, stopped uh, admissions from from everywhere around the world into the U.S., and then put forth policies that illegal aliens who were apprehended at our border were simply turned around and sent back. We didn't have hospitals to take care of them. We did not want to get all of our border patrol agents infected uh, with the virus. Then we wouldn't have any way of guarding our border. And so those types of policies, along with some of the deals he's made with our neighbors to the south, have really shored up uh, this nation's borders to a degree uh, that Mm -hmm. hasn't been seen at least in a generation. Dave Ray is our guest from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Let's touch on a couple of other things, including, excuse me, I mentioned COVID-19 and the uh, assistance in stopping the spread by stopping people from coming in from other countries across our southern border illegally. And we have no earthly idea what they're bringing with them, which, of course, is a concern. There are Democrat-run cities and states, particularly those who call themselves sanctuaries, who have insisted on making sure that COVID-19 relief money goes to the illegal aliens living in their cities and states the democrats as a matter of fact they just passed in the house a three trillion dollar bill it's been a couple of weeks now it's going nowhere in the senate but this is, what does this say dave ray that they would pass this bill that not only provides illegal aliens with amnesty but gives them twelve hundred dollars per adult being here illegally using american resources soaking up american resources thanks to the american taxpayers in terms of health care in terms of education and in terms of housing not to mention taking jobs away potentially from other americans but now we're going to pay them to be here in the form of covid relief um what, what does all of that say about the real priorities of of the democrats in this country 
Well, the priorities are off. On top of everything you said, Bob, they had the audacity to call this the HEROES Act. I mean, if it's going to be called the HEROES Act, I would certainly hope you would be throwing assistance to American citizens, particularly those who've lost their jobs. But the $3 trillion package passed by Nancy Pelosi's House of Representatives, like you said, it gives amnesty to basically every illegal alien in the country by declaring them an essential worker sends them $1,200 coronavirus checks. It empties our immigration detention facilities, so criminal aliens who are currently being detained uh, out of, uh, they call it caution of not wanting them to get the virus. They're putting them out on our streets. Uh, And they are provide funding for sanctuary cities. I mean, it is absolutely as kooky as it can possibly get. Uh, particularly you can't pick up a, a newspaper or look at a website anywhere and not see a story about American families who are losing their homes, who have, you know, drained their bank accounts. And, and uh, you know, Congress is, is the Democrats are, are wanting to funnel money to illegal immigrants. All of that on top of the fact that there are several states out there that have already given illegal aliens uh, assistance. You've, you've got uh, California, Oregon, Washington, then you have New York City, Austin, Boston, Minneapolis. So in, in effect, if the, if the, the uh, package goes through, the HEROES Act would go through, illegal aliens would actually be double dippers. They would be getting more than American citizens because That's they've already been point. given money by several of these states. Now they're being and they're given money by some of these cities. And now the so so sec, American citizens are second class citizens when it comes to assistance with the coronavirus, and we're the ones paying the taxes. That's Doesn't right. Doesn't make any sense coming That's out of our paychecks. Want. Yeah. <laughs> David, let me let me pivot to the Supreme Court here. Um, I know we were all disappointed and, quite frankly, shocked. I mean, John yeah. Roberts and the four liberals all acknowledge that what Barack Obama did with DACA was illegal. It was unconstitutional. He had no authority to do that. Yet, the next president right. can't just undo the illegal act ordered by Barack Obama by saying, okay, I am, I am ending that executive order that is being de- discontinued now. The deferred action time, that's what defer, DACA stands for, deferred action uh, on right. childhood arrivals. The, that time has come now. Now is time for the action we have to start processing these and what the supreme court said was isn't that they disagree with the fact that it was illegal but they said yeah you need to give us a better reason you have to provide better reasoning for wanting to end this how about this reason it's illegal it was illegal right. when it was started it's illegal today and our job is to uphold the law and, and yet the supreme court said nope daca stays until you can give us a better reason to end it yeah, it was an incredible blow and disappointment. It was a blow to the rule of law and the Constitution. Uh, everyone, and our sovereignty. Everyone agrees that DACA is illegal and why this administration cannot rescind an illegal policy by a former administration uh, just boggles the mind. I mean, what, the, the, what, what Roberts did is side with the Democrats who basically, with, with, the, with the liberal members of the court who said you need to go through X procedures in order to rescind this. So it was a slap on the hand, start all over again. But what remains is you have 1.8 million. Now, the Democrats like calling these DACA kids. Most of DACA Dreamers. They call them dreamers. Yeah, they're in their 20s and 30s, and some of them are nearly 40 years old. These are not kids. These are adults who have made adult decisions to remain in the country illegally, 
they get work permits so long as their DACA status is upheld. And now the mm-hmm. Trump administration is going to have to go at it again to try to uh, stop the program using the procedures as outlined by the Supreme Court. It really was uh, kind of took the wind out of the sails uh, of the president's efforts to, you know, kind of regain common sense in terms of our immigration policy. You know, granting amnesties, which FAIR has opposed uh, in any form, size, shape, uh, does nothing more than incentivize future illegal immigration, and it slaps the nation's legal immigrants in the face. If the DACA recipients want to get a green card, they should return to the countries where they are citizens and apply for a green card as everyone else does and wait their turn in line. It's not immediate gratification, but it's the right way to do it, and it's the fair way to do it. And so now uh, the Trump administration, and maybe you know, if, if, if Biden wins presidency, the Biden administration will inherit this pro- this. Um, a legacy from the Obama administration. Let's face it, the only people who can give DACA recipients, uh, put them on a pathway to a green card is Congress. Presidents can't do that. They can defer their deportation as what DACA does right now, but presidents cannot convey legal status to 1.8 million illegal immigrants. So this just remains an unsolved issue. I'm sure it will get drug into the presidential election and we will have to see uh, how those how how that comes down. Yeah, well, we we know uh, how that's going to come down. We know that uh, Joe Biden is going to benefit greatly from this uh, because obviously the uh, the saving, if you will, of the quote unquote DACA dreamers is going to be very popular with Latino voters in this uh, country. And uh, you know, even in in the sad part about it is. You know, we hear so many Latino and Latina voters, Hispanic origin voters, uh, and and re- literally citizens of this country saying they don't want illegal immigration to continue either. They want a border wall. Right. They want to stop the drugs and the gangs because you know what? You know, the victims of most of the crimes and the and the drug trade and so on and so forth in the United States are they're other Hispanics, and uh, they right. don't want it either. But yet the DACA the DACA story is one that plays on the heartstrings, like you said, because they call them dreamers and they call them kids, despite their actual age and how long they have been in this country. So uh, right. it'll definitely be a part of the uh, the election. Uh, Dave Ray, uh, great stuff. You guys uh, keep up the good work. I'm sorry we're not going to be able to see you for the um, uh, holding their feet to the fire this year because, of course, of the pandemic. But we will stay in constant right. contact. Make sure you keep us abreast of everything that the, uh, that the organization is doing, okay? You bet, my friend. Great chatting with you again. Right. Thank you, Dave day. Ray. Congrats. You too. Thank you so much. It's 10.52. We'll take our final time out and come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Two pieces of breaking news for you, and then a couple of phone calls to wrap it up. Number one. An appeals court has ordered a federal judge to drop all criminal charges against former National Security Advisor General Mike Flynn. This just coming in, um, they have ordered the case to be dropped after Bill Barr's prosecutors walked away from it. We know that the judge in the case, an Obama judge named Emmett Sullivan, tried to uh, order an amicus briefing or to ask an amicus briefing from a retired federal judge to give reasons why Flynn should not be uh, have those charges dropped, but an appeals court has dropped that. So that's number one. The other piece of breaking news is that the Wisconsin governor 
Governor Tony Evers has said he is prepared to activate the Wisconsin National Guard after a night of terrible protests and destruction in Madison, along with a personal physical assault of a Wisconsin state senator. All of this happening in the last 12 hours or so, and Tony Evers says, we're going to bring in the Guard. Quote, we are prepared to actually uh, activate the Wisconsin National Guard to protect state buildings and infrastructure and are continuing to work with local law enforcement, that's police, doesn't want to say the word, to understand their response to last night's events and their plan to respond to similar events in the future. So this is, uh, this is huge. A state senator was assaulted on camera, by the way on camera by protesters while taking video of the destruction in progress. He ended up having to lock himself in his Capitol office for safety. He couldn't come out. So the uh, guard is being called in in Wisconsin, it looks like. We'll see where that goes. Uh, let's get a couple of uh, calls before we're done. Barbara in Cleveland Heights. Hi, Barbara. Go right ahead. Yeah, hey. Um, I'm thinking all of the mayhem, the rampage Barbara, you- that's happened. Okay. Oh, good. Good. Thanks. Um, all the rampage that has happened in Columbus that I'm wondering what about deducting that from all of the officials' paychecks each time. Hello? Yeah, good luck. (laughs) I love the idea. I love the idea. I mean, really, you know, the taxpayers are going to have to pay millions to uh, to uh, repair the damage that has been done in Columbus. And by the way, that total goes up every day that they don't secure the areas and stop these destructive protests from happening. Uh, so, yeah, the taxpayers have to pay. Why shouldn't the elected officials who refuse to secure the area have to pay as well? I'm with you. Take it from their salaries. But you know that's not going to happen. Barbara, thanks for the call. Let me get one last one from Jay. Jay, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Go ahead, sir. Good morning. First, kudos to the governor of Wisconsin and may more governors throughout the country employ the same tactics where necessary. Secondly, note to Tim Kaine, please take a few moments to read the Bible, especially chapter Exodus. It's about the slaves, the Jewish slaves being released from Egypt 500 years before Jesus got here. Thank you. And that's a great point. You know, we've talked about this, too. Tim Kaine apparently doesn't know how the pyramids were built by slaves. Uh, he doesn't know anything, like I said before, about the Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, the enslavement of Irish. I mean, you know, so virtually every ethnicity in the history of human civilization has found themselves enslaved at some point by another ethnicity. Is it all awful? Absolutely. Are we exclusive in the United States for having that terrible stain on our history? We are not. It is not an exclusive American creation the way Tim Kaine said that it was. All right, that's all the time that I've got for today, except for tonight. If you listen to The Larry Elder Show, you're in for a treat. I'll be back hosting Larry's show tonight. We'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Enjoy the silence.